Good afternoon, Covenant Hope Church. It's a joy to be gathered with you all to worship the God, our God together. Um, we begin a new series this week in the book of Proverbs. So if you will, open your Bibles. If you open them to about the midway point, you probably find, probably hit the Psalms. And if you turn one book over, you'll find the Proverbs. So if you'll turn there. While you turn there, I have a question that I want you to consider. If you could ask God for one thing, anything, and be certain that his response would be yes and give it to you, what would you ask for? Now, I'm sure there's lots of answers, different answers floating through your brains right here in front of me. I can't tell by looking at you, but I'm sure they're different. And I'm sure that there's lots of good answers to that question. There's lots of good things we could ask for from the Lord. Maybe one of your answers was thinking about a change of circumstances. Maybe you would ask God to relieve you of a particularly trying situation that you're facing. Maybe a challenging relationship. It might be a family relationship like the ones Brian prayed for. Or maybe it would be a challenging work relationship or job situation. Maybe you'd ask for security. Maybe you, you don't feel secure, you don't feel safe. Maybe you would ask for financial stability. Not necessarily a bad thing. Important, right? But maybe your answer was something more like clarity. Just one second, I'm going to move this pulpit a little bit because the light is shining right off the floor there into my eyes. Maybe you would ask for clarity. Maybe you have like a big decision that's, that's coming up, you see it on the horizon, you have to make it, and you're just really not sure what to do. And so you'd ask God, Lord, just tell me what to do. But what would be the very best thing to ask God for? A change of circumstances would be great, just until our circumstances become challenging again. Maybe they change even for the worse at some point in the future, and we don't know how to handle them. Financial abundance and security can be a blessing, of course, but there are a surprising number of stories of people who won the lottery, and it absolutely devastated their lives. It ruined them. It left them worse off than before they'd hit the jackpot. And divine clarity, of course, for a big decision would be wonderful, wouldn't it? wonder how many of you have wondered, Lord, just tell me what to do. Until, of course, you have another decision to make. Maybe even bigger as life goes on and you struggle. So better than change of circumstances, better than the comfort of financial stability, better than the clarity about a big decision that you have to make is wisdom. Wisdom to know how to handle even the most trying difficult circumstances that life throws at us. Wisdom to know how to manage your money, whether you have very little of it or a lot of it. And wisdom to know how to make godly decisions while entrusting, entrusting the outcomes to the Lord who knows the future, even when you don't. King Solomon was presented with this, the very offer that I just asked you to consider. King Solomon was asked by God to ask for whatever he wanted in 1 Kings chapter 3. 
And wisdom was what he asked for. And God gave King Solomon wisdom beyond any who had been before him. So today we begin a series in the book of Proverbs. I hope you've found it by now. We'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And Proverbs was written by King Solomon, the wisest king of all of Israel, God's people. And he wrote this book to pass on the wisdom that God had given to him, to pass it on to his people and even for us today. So if you will follow along as I read it, I'll read it out loud for us. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to understand, to, sorry, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's go to the Lord and ask for His help as we consider His Word. Heavenly Father, we pray that You'd speak to us today, that You would teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Lord, test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of Your purity. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what You have for us today from this passage. Help us to behold Christ who is the power and wisdom of God. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. So here in these first seven verses of the book, this introduction to, it's a 31-chapter long book, we get the essence of the book as a whole. We get a summary of all that, that King Solomon wants for us to understand from this book. And the main point of these first seven verses is to fear the Lord and find wisdom. Fear the Lord and become wise. That's the point of this sermon. That's the point of these first seven verses. Fear the Lord and become wise. Verse 1 introduces the book with the title, the Proverbs, and the author of the book, King Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. And he wrote these to share God's wisdom with God's people. And so this isn't a book of collection of wise words from people all around the world. No, this is specifically a a collection of the wisdom of King Solomon, God's chosen people, Israel's king, uh, after David, his his father. And so we see in verses 2 through 6, we really see the purpose of the Proverbs. What is the point of this book? Why Why was it written? Verses 2 through 6, spell it out for us. It's to find wisdom. And that's the first point, find wisdom. You see it there repeated. It's in the series of two statements. They give us the purpose of the book. It was to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction, to give prudence 
knowledge and discretion. And so here in these first six verses, we get six whole verses just to say that the point of the book is to find wisdom. But that's because each of these verses, each of these phrases, they help unpack what wisdom is. They add a fuller picture of wisdom for us to know what is wisdom. And so, at first glance, if we just skim our eyes over these words, we see that wisdom has to do with instruction. It has to do with understanding, with insight, with learning, with knowledge. You know, when I was a boy going to school here in Dubai, when I was getting ready for the exams, I would spend the whole year being lazy. Just ask my parents. They're sat over there. You can ask them after the service. I, I would do very little work throughout the year. And then as the exams drew closer, I knew, oh, goodness, I better start working. And so I would just cram all the content that I could into my brain. Even though I didn't really fully understand it, I just did enough work to be able to regurgitate onto the exam paper what they wanted to hear. I can see a few teachers in the room, and they're probably thinking, oh, gosh, that's just like my students. Hopefully not. But that's not what Proverbs is talking about. It's not just talking about rote information being passed into your brain that you can regurgitate. No, Proverbs is, and, and wisdom is, is, is better uh, understood there with those words in the first verse, verse, uh, verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. And then again, if you look in verse 6, to understand so it's not just memorization, but it's comprehension. It's understanding something. And there is a content to wisdom that needs to be known, but there's also understanding how that knowledge works. So finding wisdom, wisdom is a disciplined pursuit, growing in knowing how God's world works, who God is, and how to avoid living against the grain of the universe that God has designed and ordered and structured. And so, if we follow the grain of God's world, the way He's made it, the way that He's designed us, we won't mess up our lives. But if we do go against God's ways and His designs, we'll mess our lives up. But wisdom, it's not simply knowing and understanding how the world works, because it's intensely practical as well. It's not just a lot of information, even well-understood information, but it's living that information out. Look at verse 3. It says that it has to do with wise dealings. So wisdom is, is dealing with people and problems and challenges in life. So don't picture, when you think of a wise person, don't picture a, some old philosopher sitting in some stuffy room surrounded by piles of books with a big, long, gray, bushy beard. No, instead, picture what Proverbs presents to us. One of the most wonderful, vivid descriptions of wisdom is that where we see it embodied is actually at the very last chapter of the book, with a poem in honor of an excellent wife. Go and study Proverbs 31 later and consider but let me just highlight some of the things that is said about this wise woman. It says she's an excellent wife, that she's trustworthy to her husband, that she's praised by her children, 
that she does good, that she works hard. She provides for her household. She buys property even. She makes and sells products. She manages her household well and those in the household who are under her care. She isn't idle. She's amazing, this woman. It's such a beautiful picture of the way of wisdom in the world. And so wisdom doesn't just train us how to think, but how to live. How to see clearly and to act when life is challenging, when it's perplexing. But look even further in verse 3 at the second half. Wisdom isn't just wise dealings that mean you're successful in the world's eyes. No, wisdom is, involves wise dealings in something. Did you notice that? In righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, wisdom empowers us to live rightly, to live justly, to live fairly towards the people around us. And that's what verse 4 means when it says prudence and discretion. Those, those words, they have the idea of, of, of being discerning about what's right and what's wrong, being able to turn away from temptations to evil and to recognize the dangers of sin. Consider even what Jesus' own brother said about wisdom. James writes for us, Who is wise and understanding among you? And how do we see who's wise and understanding among us? By how many books they have on their shelf? No, it says, By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This isn't the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And so we see that wisdom, it's a moral category. Wisdom has a moral aspect. It's not just about being cunning and making things work the way you want them to work. It's not about being shrewd. No, wisdom teaches us not just how to live successfully, but how to live faithfully. That's really what living successfully is, faithfully under God's rule and righteously towards one another. And so, here's my simple definition of what wisdom is. Wisdom is how to live under God's rule and before man. How to live under God and before others. And so, friends, do you feel your need for wisdom? I know I do. Every single day. Does wisdom sound attractive to you? Living well in God's world, according to Him. Living well with others in right relationship. Being just, being fair, being righteous. It should. Wisdom will serve you no matter where you are. It will serve you no matter what happens to you in life. No matter how hard things get. No matter what challenging life circumstances you face, wisdom will help. The whole direction of your life depends on whether you find wisdom or not. It will set the course of the path that you walk upon. It affects how you talk to your boss. How do you interact with your spouse and kids or your housemates? 
or your clients or your landlord or your fellow church members. You don't need a qualification in order to receive wisdom either. Wisdom is not like the universities that require certain grades in order to enroll. No, the school of wisdom is open for everyone. Everyone's welcome to join. Look at verses 4 and 5. First, he mentions the simple. Do you sometimes feel simple? A little gullible or naive? You're welcome to come and learn from wisdom. They, these are those that, that are easily persuaded, the simple who are easily persuaded. And here you see that they're actually paired with the youth. And that includes children from, from young childhood all the way up to like early adulthood. And so, of course, when we think of children, they are gullible, right? They'll believe anything you tell them. You know, the tooth fairy or Santa Claus, they're very persuadable but they're encouraged to come and to find wisdom from God. And so if you're in here and you're between the ages of 5 and 18, you can grow in wisdom too. In fact, you're invited to. You don't have to wait to grow up to become wise. You can start growing in wisdom even today. But then look at verse 5. This was actually more surprising to me. Thinking about inviting simple people and children to learn wisdom makes sense, right? But here it says, the wise and the one who understands can grow in wisdom too, and to be guided by it even more, to obtain guidance. And so, in the pursuit of wisdom, you never reach the finish line. You never arrive and go, ah, now I'm wise. I don't need to learn anymore. No, you can pursue wisdom whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're a child or a grandparent, everyone should seek to find wisdom. You know, at the beginning of January, it's a time that maybe many of you are the same as Hannah and I. We like to look back on the year that's just passed and to reflect on what did we learn last year? What ways do we see God's faithfulness? What are the ways that we've grown? And then we also reflect on what are the things that we feel like, man, we really need to take a step in this thing this year. How have we fallen short of doing the things that we wanted to be committed to or being the kinds of people that we want to be, that we want to be? I'm persuaded that at the top of our list every year, Hannah and I sat down yesterday to, to discuss this at the park. I'm persuaded that every year at the top of our list should be, let's grow in wisdom this year, baby. It's so important. And so, how do we do this? How do we grow in wisdom? Maybe you're wondering that. How do you get wisdom? How do you find it? Well, first of all, I want you to see that in these verses, just glance over them, you'll see that it's primarily passed on in words. And so, it means that we need to listen. Look, it says instruction, words of insight, Words of the wise, a saying, a proverb. These are words. And so it means that we need to listen. These foundational verses for the whole book begin and end with, with that word, instruction. You see there in verse 2 and then at the uh, end of verse 7, both have the same 
couplet there, wisdom and instruction. And here, instructions, don't picture instructions like the IKEA furniture instructions or the, the guide to put together the Lego set that you bought for yourself this Christmas. No, no, this is more like the instructions that a parent gives to their child. Like Hannah and I instructing Charlotte, don't go and touch the oven, it's hot, it's been on for a while. Or, come this way, sweetheart. That's what we should envision. You know, in in other places in the Bible, this word is actually translated discipline. Like, to, to be disciplined. And so that means to gain wisdom, you need to listen You need to receive direction and even correction. In other words, you have to be teachable. You know, it's not not enough to simply hear wisdom if it never changes your mind or if it never shapes how you think or how you live. And so growing in wisdom necessarily requires the humility to acknowledge, I don't know everything and I might be wrong. You have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to be corrected. You have to be willing to admit that you don't know. Humility is willing to receive help and guidance from outside yourself. Pride hates to be taught. It thinks it already knows. And you can't grow in wisdom alone. You need words. You need words from outside yourself. And so unlike what you'll read in many books which say, you know, speak words from within about yourself. No, we need words from outside ourselves to grow in wisdom. And so let me offer a a slight warning and a challenge to you. You can show up here week after week at church, and that's great. That's really good. It's the first most important step. You can listen to the sermon, sermon after sermon, and even be in total agreement mentally to what you hear, maybe even nodding your head in agreement. But if it doesn't change how you live, you aren't growing in wisdom. You're hardening into a hypocrite, according to the Scriptures. So let me encourage you. Are you seeking to apply the instruction and to be corrected from what you hear in God's Word as you gather here week after week? If so, I have good news for you. You're already growing in wisdom. Make it an aim to allow God's Word to shape your thoughts, to shape your affections and your behaviors every time you hear it. And so that means coming prepared each week when you gather with the saints to hear God's Word. Secondly, you don't grow in wisdom by simply humbly listening to everyone and anyone. That's what the simple or the naive do. You must grow in being discerning about who and what you listen to. That's what discretion is. There are many voices out there in the world. Many of them are saying all kinds of ways about how to live well, how to live your life, how to live successfully, how to be happy and healthy and successful. But as we'll see in Proverbs, many of these voices are foolish. They're they're evil. And in fact, foolishness speaks a lot. Fools say a lot of words. 
Foolishness pleads for people to follow it. Foolishness promises great things that are very appealing to our, our sinful nature or even just our, our human need. Foolishness can even sound reasonable at times. So we must be careful about what we listen to. So wh- where do you seek wisdom to know how to best to live? Are you being formed by social media or influencers? What about bestsellers on the self-help section of Kino Kania? Or the Joe Rogan podcast? Or fill in the blank with another name. Are you learning how to live successfully from your peers or your colleagues? Even the advertisement boards along the Sheikh Zayed Road are promising things to us about how to be successful in life, how to be happy. And all of these voices are begging for you to listen and to follow them. But be warned, much of what they have to say and offer is folly. Friends, be very discerning where you seek guidance and where you seek instruction about how to live life well. Weigh what you hear in the scales of God's Word and see, does it hold up? Here in Proverbs, right in verse 1, he tells us what the source of this wisdom is. It's King Solomon. And remember, his wisdom came from God, God who is the source of all wisdom. But the Proverbs also commend seeking wisdom through faithful, wise counselors as well. That is what we see in verse 6, the words of the wise. So we can seek wisdom from other humans as well. We don't only get our wisdom from the Bible, but we should start there primarily. And we should seek wisdom from counselors who know God's Word well. So before you make big decisions with your life, let me encourage you to seek counsel from others especially if it's going to change the course of your life. A wise friend of mine who has counseled me much says that the best counselors will most of the time not make a decision for you. Many times they won't even tell you what they think you should do. They'll ask questions that you haven't asked yourself yet. Or they'll identify variables or other options that you haven't yet factored in. And so seek counsel through wise counselors. Thirdly, as we see in verses 5 and 6, it makes it clear here that growing in wisdom and finding wisdom requires effort. Even the wise might struggle to find wisdom. Look there at verses 5 and 6. It says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Why? To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so wisdom, is, it's a gift. Wisdom is a gift that's given freely from the Lord. It's offered to all. Anyone can receive wisdom. But it's not effortless to grow in wisdom. Verse 6 makes it clear that some of these proverbs will require careful thought to understand. The phrase there that's translated a saying is, is, is often translated a parable. And the parables, as you know, if you've read the New Testament, the the parables of Jesus were hard to understand. Just ask Jesus' disciples. They had to go to him and ask him 
for understanding. The wise need to keep pursuing and keep growing and seeking guidance to understand wisdom because sometimes wisdom is elusive to us. It seems hard to grasp. It's like a riddle that he mentions. It can be perplexing and it might feel like a puzzle that needs to be solved. And so, with that in mind, the fact that it takes work to become wise, let me encourage you, work at becoming wise. Wrestle with the hard truths of God's Word, and not just with understanding them, but asking yourself, how do they apply to my life? Study the Word, do it by yourself, do it with others, and ask, how does this help us to live rightly, justly, fairly towards others? Come to our church gatherings. Come to our midweek Bible study, eager to hear God's Word each week with the expectation that God's Word should be shaping and forming and fashioning you into a wiser person. Strive, work hard to find wisdom. We've considered the goal of the book, but where do we begin in our quest to find wisdom? The final verse tells us, we begin with the fear of the Lord. And that's the second point of the sermon. Fear the Lord. We see it there in verse 7. Verse 7 actually gives us what some have called the motto of the book or the thesis statement of the book. And it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And now here we see the first time that it mentions the Lord at all. The first time that God is mentioned. And he's introduced, not the, in English it says the Lord with capital L-O-R-D, but in Hebrew that was the, the proper name for God, the name Yahweh, maybe you've heard that. This was God's covenantal name that was given to his specific people. And the fear of this God, not just any God generally, but the God of Israel is the beginning of knowledge. And this phrase, the fear of the Lord, it's repeated many times throughout the book of Proverbs. It's a theme, really, of the book. And it's also mentioned many other times throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. And it's here, right at the beginning of the book. And it concludes the book with the description of the praiseworthy woman, this one who is described in almost the very last verse of the, of the book of Proverbs, as a woman who fears the Lord. And so we know that this must be central to this book, to understanding what it is. If you were to boil all of the 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs down into one droplet, with all of the practical wisdom that it has, all of the things that it teaches us about money and marriage, about conflict and about correction, about parenting and about purity, this verse would be it. It might be worth memorizing this verse this week, taking time to store it in your mind and in your heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So verse 7, it's an anchor for all that the book has to offer. And if you lose this anchor, the ship will drift away and be destroyed on the rocks. At the heart of it, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, it says, is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. That doesn't mean that fearing the Lord is the first thing that you do and then you move on to step number two. No, it's more like the foundations that are laid first 
for a house to be built upon. And so the foundations of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. One commentator said it this way, what the alphabet is to reading, what musical notes are to playing a song, what the numbers one, two, three, four are to doing mathematics, that's what the fear of the Lord is to attaining the wisdom that's revealed in this book. And so you can't grow in wisdom without it. You can't grow in wisdom without fearing the Lord. You can understand things in this book, you can learn some important lessons, but you really can't grow in wisdom until you understand the fear of the Lord. Because wisdom is always in relationship to the Lord. It's always in relation to God. Remember, wisdom is how we live under God and before men. And so, as we get into this book and we consider all the Proverbs and all that they share, all the wisdom they have, it would be pointless if we aren't growing in the fear of the Lord. So, what is the fear of the Lord? We don't usually think of fear as a, as a good thing, right? It's not often a positive feeling. We don't relish being afraid, although maybe if you like roller coasters or scary movies, you kind of like the thrill of being afraid. But we know that fear is an important emotion. It's an important thing to feel because when you're in danger, it's good to be afraid. Or if there's a good reason to be alert, it's important to feel a sense of fear. In fact, fear might be one of the most powerful emotions that we ever experience. One example is the fact that, unlike Pastor Brian, I'm afraid of snakes. You know, one summer a couple years ago, we were on vacation in Tennessee, and Pastor Brian found a snake in the backyard. And he went and grabbed it and picked it up, and it wrapped itself around his arm. And then he started to walk towards me with this snake to show it to me. And I am afraid of snakes. And so I fled into the house at top speed. But is that what it means when it says the fear of the Lord? Do you think that's what it means when it says the fear of the Lord? I think intuitively we all really know. You all know the answer. No, that's not what it means. At least not entirely, right? But... Just think for a moment. That was the kind of fear that Adam and Eve felt when they had sinned against God in the garden, wasn't it? They ran from God. They hid in terror because they knew that they were unclean, that they had rebelled against a holy God. They were condemned before Him. And that's an, it's an appropriate response for sinners before a holy God. But here the phrase means more than that. Because wisdom is how we live under God's rule, not run from God's rule. Scripture calls us to serve the Lord with fear and to rejoice with trembling. What an amazing verse that we can serve the God we fear and we can even rejoice with this fear. So it's not opposed to service to God. It's not opposed to joy even. That's why sometimes you'll hear people define the fear of the Lord as awe or reverence. And I think that's a helpful addition to thinking about the terror that you might feel before God, to think of awe or reverence. But it's not merely being amazed by God. 
The fear of the Lord, just like we'll see as we continue to think through Proverbs, is practical. It's amazement that leads to devotion. It's awe that leads to worship and service. It's it's paralleled here with the despising that we see that the fools feel in in verse 7, the second part of it. And so we see that it's, it's kind of the opposite of what fools feel. It's love, not despising. And so fear and love, they're not actually mutually exclusive. Surprisingly enough, they're not opposed to one another. It can be a loving, reverential fear. But it's love that humbly takes into account who God is. He's our holy creator. And it's appropriate to feel a level of trembling in the presence, even of an earthly king or queen, right? How much more so in the presence of the high king of heaven? And so the fear of the Lord is living in humble submission to God. It's drawing near to God, not running from God. It's listening to God, not rejecting or neglecting or ignoring His Word. It's turning away from what God despises, sin, and it's pursuing what God loves, righteousness and justice. It's realizing that I'm not the king of my own life. He's the king. And it's bowing my knee in homage to Him, not raising my fist in rebellion. But sadly, this posture is not natural to us. None of us have been born with the fear of the Lord. We were born fools. Since Adam and Eve chose to become wise in their own eyes, all of us have gone astray. And our wisdom problem is not fundamentally informational. We don't just need to know more things. It's relational. It's because we've rebelled against God. We've turned away from Him. And so we must fear the Lord. Brothers and sisters and friends, we must fear the Lord. And that starts by acknowledging that you're a sinner, that you've rebelled against God's ways, that you've made your own path rather than following His. We've all acted the fool. We begin to fear the Lord when we recognize that. By God's grace, though, in His love, in His wisdom, He has not left us without hope as fools. In His wisdom, God sent His Son to redeem fools like us. The Lord Jesus acknowledged God the Father in all of His ways. He always did what was right, what was just, what was fair. Every word that He spoke was wise, and He devoted Himself in humble homage to God. Every word that came from his mouth was good and right, and yet he died in the place of those who have sinned. Even even dying the death that sinners deserve as a substitute for them. Jesus Christ came to rescue fools who were headed straight for hell. And in his death, Jesus took the consequences of our foolish rebellion against God, and he bore the judgment of the sin that we deserve. And He conquered it through His death and His resurrection. And God sent His Son not just to save us from our foolishness, but to save us to becoming wise. You know, later in chapter 1, it says that the fear of the Lord is a choice. 
And so we must choose to bow in humble submission to God. And so, friend, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Fear God. Go broken and helpless before Him. Humbly acknowledge you need the wisdom that He alone can provide and submit yourself to Him. You have to make that choice. You can make it even today. We all have to make this choice. Fear the Lord and flourish or follow the way of the fool who fights against the Lord. You must choose. Which will it be? Brothers and sisters, we too must grow in the fear of the Lord. And we do that on our knees at the foot of the cross. At the cross, we're reminded that we lack wisdom. At the cross, we are reminded and we see that the wisdom of God was shown in His work of redemption. At the cross, we see God's love in the wise one dying in the place of fools. And at the cross, we see God's holiness in the price of our redemption, the death of His own Son. As a church, we gather every week. That's the purpose of our gathering, is to fuel our fear of the Lord. And we do that by proclaiming God's truth to one another, by bowing before the throne in prayer, by singing of God's holiness, by confessing our sins to one another and to Him, and rejoicing in our redemption. Pastor Michael Reeves, in his book about the fear of the Lord, explains why the gospel is such fertile ground for the fear of the Lord to grow in. He says, when the awesome magnitude of God's forgiveness, when we understand the extreme to which He has gone to atone for us, and therefore the terrible gravity of our sin, when they become clear to us, as they do best at the cross, the right loving reaction is so intense, it's fearful. At the cross, we're left in awe that God would do such an amazing thing for such wicked rebels like us. God's grace in Christ Jesus drives us into deeper devotion to God, a fearful love in His presence. It's not a fear of judgment, but awe-filled worship of God. And that's what it means when we sang earlier in Amazing Grace, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And grace my fears relieve. Grace teaches us to fear the Lord. Verse 7, though, concludes by introducing the final key characters of this book. The fools. Fools are unlike the simple who don't know any better. No, fools despise wisdom. They reject God's Word and His ways. They're unteachable because they refuse to be instructed. They can't be corrected because they claim to always be right. They plug their ears because in their pride they think they know everything. It's like C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as one is looking down, they cannot see something that is above them. They can't see God. And so, church, let's pursue a culture here among us of humble teachability. 
we've seen from this text that none of us has reached a level of wisdom that we can't still learn more, where we don't need instructions. And so, let's be quick to share with one another the things that we're learning about the Lord. Let's read hard books that push us in thinking about how amazing God is. Let's not just read tweets and blog posts. Let's dive deeply into God's Word and other helpful Christian resources. But here we see that it also means that we should be open to receiving loving instruction. So, let me encourage you. Let's encourage us. Let's not despise correction. Let's delight in it. We, we should be those that invite others to speak words into our lives, where they correct us, where they challenge us, where they help us to grow in following Christ. And so, ask members, especially those who know you well and are wise, to speak into your life. Ask them how they think you could grow in following the Lord, how they think you could grow in fearing Him. This is a crucial aspect of our call to disciple one another. It's why in a few moments when we read our church covenant, we'll read the words that we promise to commit to faithfully warn, rebuke, and admonish one another. Fools despise this, but wise people welcome it. This should be an ordinary part of our lives as a church. This should not be an unusual event that happens once a year. No, we should be welcoming correction and instruction from one another. And so, we see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundations for how we'll grow in being wise. Right at the beginning of the sermon, I asked you to consider what would you ask God for if He offered you anything you wanted and He promised to give it to you. Well, I hope I've persuaded you and that God's Word has persuaded you that wisdom that flows from a fear of the Lord is something that we all desperately need and should be asking for every day. And you know what the amazing thing is? That God has actually promised that He will answer that prayer. God has promised that when we ask in faith, God will give us wisdom. We go back to Jesus' brother James, who in chapter 1, verse 5 of his letter says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God promises to answer that prayer, brothers and sisters. And so, as we embark on this journey through Proverbs, ask God for wisdom. Ask Him to grow you in wisdom, but not just you. Ask Him to grow us as a church, Covenant Hope Church. Pray that we would grow in humility in seeking wisdom from outside ourselves. Pray that we'd work hard to grow in wisdom. Pray that we would know how to live under God and before others. Pray that we'd be so amazed by who God is that we delight to do His will, to act righteously and justly and fairly. Pray that we would fear the Lord and that we would become wise. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we recognize that You are the God of all wisdom. How unsearchable are your ways. Lord, you are 
incredibly gracious to speak to us words that, that impart wisdom. And so we ask, as we've considered the words of Proverbs today, Lord, would you push them into the soil of our heart? Would you plant it deeply in us? Would you cause it to shape and fashion us more and more in your likeness? Would you cause us to be humbled? Would you cause us to be convicted of ways that we have been foolish? Would you encourage us with the fact that you give wisdom to any who ask for it? And Lord, we pray that as we think about the the gospel, that you in your wisdom sent your Son into the world to die for and to save foolish sinners like us, we pray that that would give us much cause for rejoicing, that we would serve you with fear, that we would rejoice with trembling. Oh Lord, would you make us fear you and become wise? We ask for that now in the name of Jesus. Amen.